0: Welcome to the Senior Soup Podcast, the DMV's senior resource hub and premier senior advocacy platform. My name is Raquel Meissett.
1: And I'm Ryan Miner.
0: The soup of the day is family estate planning. The spotlight is on our special guest, Sarah Broder with Stein Sperling, Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ryan and I are thrilled to have you join our podcast today. Sarah is so experienced, obviously. She's awesome. Very knowledgeable. What we love most about her is she's super easy to talk to and relatable. We are excited to help educate our audience and have you help empower them to either start the family estate planning process or maybe even revisit it. Why don't we start with you telling us about yourself, what
2: you do, who you are, and then we'll go from there. I'm Sarah Broder. As I was uh, so nicely introduced, I am an estate planning attorney at Steins Burling in Rockville. So if you're ever driving on 270, you can wave to us. I started out my legal career with family law. I did divorce and custody and things of that nature and then transitioned my practice to estate planning. I have an LLM in taxation, which is just a degree in tax. For some reason I really like tax. (laughs) Now I do estate planning exclusively, but my family law background certainly helps with that, especially dealing with family dynamics of all sorts. I also do the administration side of things, so trust administration, estate administration, which is basically when someone passes away helping their family members administer their estate and kind of get their assets to the places that they wanted them to go and everything in between.
0: Could you define exactly what estate planning is for our audience out there? Estate planning, it runs the gamut,
2: right? So it could be a, you know, just planning for incapacity, right? It could just be a power of attorney, which is a document allowing or nominating somebody to act on your behalf with respect to your finances and your property, and a medical directive, which is just naming somebody to act on your behalf with respect to health care decisions. It could be just that. If you own assets, and it's a bank account, a house, estate planning can be drafting a document, whether it's a will or a a revocable trust, to direct that asset to where you want it to go upon your death. It also could be gifting, could be a prenuptial agreement, a postnuptial agreement, if you're in a second marriage, whether you want your assets to go to your new spouse or your children from your previous marriage, it's all over the place. So it really is tailored to whatever the client needs and wants.
1: Sarah, your Stein-Sperling bio reads in part, Sarah, that's you, focuses her practice on all aspects of estate planning, from helping clients prepare necessary documents for wealth, asset and beneficiary protection, and succession planning, as well as charitable gift planning techniques. As you just spoke about, could you walk our audience through a brief documents crash course and the bare minimum protections that they might need to have in place to spare their families the potentially unpleasant probate process after their passing?
2: Probate is the process that's overseen by the court when someone passes away, and it's the process to transfer the deceased person's assets from their estate to the designated legatees, which are people named under a will. It's a court process. You know, it requires certain filings, like an accounting of all of the income and distributions from the estate. It requires an inventory of all the assets in the estate, appraisals, things of that nature. As you can imagine, it can be somewhat burdensome to a family member to go through this process. Most of the time, people that are nominated to do this, which are called personal representatives in Maryland, they have full-time jobs. <laughs> they don't have time to do all of that. Avoiding that court process is, for some people, really important. Especially Especially if they've served in that role for maybe a parent or another family member, and they know that it's a lengthy process that they don't want to burden their family members with. So in order to do that, what you need to do is have no probate assets left at the time of your death. A probate asset is an asset titled solely to you at the time of your death that doesn't have a beneficiary designation or isn't jointly owned. Think about a bank account, right? A bank account that's just in your name, there's no payable on death or transfer on death designation for it, that would be a probate asset. To avoid that, oftentimes Sometimes we recommend that people create a revocable trust. Revocable trusts are not for everyone. You know, there's no monetary limit about how much money you need to create a revocable trust, but it really is dependent on a client's situation, and that's why it's important to have an attorney counseling you through this. A revocable trust, think of it as kind of an empty pot, and you're putting assets into the pot, and all the assets that are in the pot don't have to go through probate. So all of your assets should be titled to your trust or have a beneficiary designation, or be jointly owned, and then you won't have any probate assets left to go through the probate process. But a a revocable trust operates much like a will. It can dictate where you want your property to go at the time of your death, and it also operates during your incapacity. So if you become incapacitated during your lifetime and you can't manage the assets in the trust, you can nominate a successor trustee who can manage those assets for you, kind of with a seamless transition, no court involvement, nothing like that. If you don't have any documents, you don't have a will, you don't have a trust, then you What's called intestate, and that means without will. That sounds weird. I don't want to do that. Well, it's a last will and testament, so intestate is without a will. Testate is dying with the will. I imagine, is it different state by state? Of course, it is. The concept is pretty much similar across the board, but, you know, the rules are implemented differently in each state. The court system, the probate system, is much different in different states. So Florida has a very complicated probate system. Maryland is actually not terrible compared to other states, but it is still annoying, for lack of a better word. So, Sarah, when is a good time to put a will in place? I would say always, but I'm a little biased. Even in 18? I don't know if a a will is necessary at age 18. It really depends on what the 18-year-old has. But I have seen situations where, let's say, an 18-year-old has received an inheritance from a grandparent. It's a lot of money and they received it in a brokerage account. They received it outright in a brokerage account only in their name and then if something happens to them, now you have a probate estate that your
1: parents most likely are going to have to administer. There's people around here who have significant resources and Mm -hmm. assets which make your job maybe more complicated? It can
2: be. It depends on how those assets are titled, what they are, you know, if they're complex family businesses, that's a whole added element that really creates some complexity and why it's important when you're looking for an estate planning attorney, that you're looking for an attorney that has the resources to help you comprehensively, like has business attorneys available, has real estate attorneys available. In case anyone's wondering, Stein Sperling has that. Stein Sperling. Shameless plug.
0: Stein Sperling. So when people come to you fairly young, because I imagine people, most of the time when they come to put a will together,
2: how would that benefit them? When you turn 18, you're an adult, right? So if you- so You
1: can't smoke cigarettes until you're 21.
2: Right, but you can, you can go make war. you can go to war and you can make decisions about your health, about your your assets without your parents helping you. Right, but you
1: can't smoke a Marlboro. <laughs> I'm not advocating for probably that. for the best.
2: It best. can benefit you in the sense that you need somebody there to make decisions for you in the event something happens to you, right? What if you have surgery? Think about something so basic. You're being put under anesthesia. Don't you think it makes sense to have a medical directive to say, oh, if something happens, I really want my mom to make the decision for me, or I really want spouse to make the decision for me. No one wants to think about it, right? No one wants. And that's probably one of the reasons people don't do it, because even when I'm sitting with a client, they're like, I don't want to think about this. I'm like, yeah, I know. No one wants to come see me. Keep in mind that once it's done, it's done. You can put it under the bed, forget all about it. But knowing that there's somebody there to step in for you in the event that you can't should bring peace of mind.
1: Sarah, we talked earlier about complicated family dynamics. How do you, in your role as a legal advisor, estate planner, help families navigate the complexities of those dynamics? If cousin Timmy is not in Grandpa's will and Raquel is and she gets six million dollars from you Going know
0: shopping, right? Yeah, like this you know Uncle
1: one. Uncle Bobby's <laughs> business that we really never knew what Uncle Bobby did, but. He had this business on the side. Little cousin Timmy didn't get anything. And cousin Timmy's mother, the daughter of Grandpa, is very upset. She makes a scene right here in this conference room. What do you do?
2: That would be the administration side, I'm assuming. Because otherwise, your kids shouldn't necessarily know if they're in the will or not. Oh, Oh, really? (laughs) I wouldn't suggest sharing that unless Everybody's being treated equally. That just creates what you're describing now, which is the dynamic to follow. When you're helping a family through the administration process and not every family member is treated fairly or treated equally in their eyes under the document, you have to remember who the client is. That's really hard when you're doing family estate planning because there is a client. And it's not everybody. For the planning piece, it's the person making the will or the trust. Those are the people that get to make the decisions. It's fine for them to have the input of their family members if they want it. The planning is happening alone with the one or two individuals that are doing the planning. And it's really talking to them about why they're including these provisions. And I'm sure there's a reason they want to cut out to me. And maybe it's important to give Warning to Timmy about why this is happened. I like to walk them through it and make sure they're thinking it through. If that's what they want to do, that's their choice. And then on the administration side, I see it all the time. Families fight about what was in the will, what wasn't in the will, what was in the trust, not in the trust.
1: Are you the executor? Are you the one who reads it?
2: There is no reading of the will. That's a movie thing. That's a movie thing. Okay, no, that's good to <laughs> yeah. know. That's really good um, to know. I'm rarely named as the personal representative executor. It's not always the best role for an attorney to do, but certainly attorneys can be hired by the personal representative to help with the administration process, and we do that all the time.
1: I have some things in place. If something happens to me, God forbid, my wife would know exactly where to go, what to do, where to put me in the ground.
2: Let me ask you a question, though. Worst case scenario, you and your wife are on a trip somewhere, and the plane goes down. Then what happens to your kids?
1: You know what? Does your
2: wife have documents? Tell us. But like, what what would happen? That's a great question because nobody has a crystal ball. If you don't plan for it and plan out what's going to happen, the question remains: What's going to happen? Who's going to take my kids? Some family member will probably want them, but. They have to petition the court, and they have to go through a guardianship oh. proceeding, which, let me tell you, even when they're, everybody agrees it's not a cheap endeavor, it's an expensive process. You're usually going to have to hire an attorney to do that, and you don't want to put that on your family members. That's hard. When, right? when it, it really is pretty simple to plan ahead. This could be a gift. To give a family member, (laughs) hey, I put a will in place,
0: Merry Christmas, right? Happy Hanukkah. It also could be a gift to pay for the estate planning.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How
1: would that work? Would they just call your billing department?
2: Yeah, sure. (laughs) So why not do this online? For some people, that's going to be their go-to. They're going to say, well, I can do this for free, no problem. But you get what you pay for. And it's easy and you know, oh, hey, I did my will, all done. The problems it creates on the back end for your family can be extensive and very expensive and much more money than you would have spent hiring an attorney to do your estate planning one time and doing it right. I will say with services like that, they serve all 50 states. You put in all of your information, you say what state, and then they spit out a document. And the document sometimes isn't in compliance with state law. The biggest problem with that is that you can't fix it because when the will is being administered, you're no longer here. You can't change it anymore. So now you're leaving your family members with a will that says clearly what you wanted, but it's really not enforceable. And that's really bad. There can be ambiguity in the language because it's not crafted specifically to your situation and Mm. your intentions. So it could be more expensive and more time consuming. Kind of like many things that, you know, if if you (laughs) 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 So when you're putting, you know, a plan in place,
0: do you work with other advisors?
2: Yes. I love to work with other advisors. Um, I think it is the greatest benefit to the client. Can you give us some examples? Sure. So the advisor I work with most often is a financial advisor. It doesn't have to be a complicated or high asset estate for that to be a good idea. It's really the coordination between, you know, you have a financial advisor for a client who's probably known that client a lot longer than, than I have and knows a lot about the family dynamics, has spent a lot of time with them, and is advising them to manage their assets in a way that that works with their goals and intentions. So for me to get that insight from the financial advisor on, on how they're managing the assets really gives me good background on how I'm going to advise them to plan their assets on the estate planning side. And then when it comes to implementing these plans, working with a financial advisor or an accountant can really be great great because Let's say I've advised them about beneficiary designations for a retirement account. Who's going to put that into place? It's a lot of words. It's a, the client necessarily isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to be able to do that because their financial advisor probably handles that for them. So for me to be able to communicate directly with the financial advisor is just a huge benefit to the client. And I will say a lot of times clients don't want to do that. Again, you get what you pay for. And I think it's worth the extra time at the beginning to receive that benefit at the end so that everything really works together.
1: Well, I think we talked about a lot today. We lightened up this discussion because it is tough. These are very difficult subjects to talk about. When they have a, an outstanding law firm like Stein Sperling behind them, and yourself and many of your other colleagues here to help them, guide them through the process, no doubt that it's made so much easier and Raquel and I at our in our 30s. I won't tell you how old you are you, again. Just
2: because you already mentioned it.
1: I, I think it's time that we get serious about what we have in place. We
0: had a lot of great points in here. A lot of big words. <laughs> 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 we we'll so, put a glossary in there. Yeah. So um, if we could talk about some key points that our audience could take away from this podcast that would help empower them to make
2: decisions about estate planning. Give us a few points and takeaways here. I think the first point is that there's never a bad time to do your will. You're never late on your estate planning. If, if you're still alive and you're still thinking about it, there's time. Don't wait any longer. It's really not a, as hard as it seems. If you have the right person walking you through the process, you can have the answers to all the questions like what happens if this happens. The the other thing to remember is if you can't make a decision if you're if you're holding up the process because you feel like I don't know who's going to receive my <laughs> jewelry collection or my train collection. It doesn't have to be set in stone, but it's better to have something than nothing. The last point I would say is there's no asset requirement. You don't need to have a lot of money for it to be a useful endeavor to go through. And I think it really helps people not only get their estate planning done, but think about their own family dynamics and why things are the way they are. It really helps kind of smooth things out in a way.
0: This is an investment for your entire family and really a gift. You're giving your children your family members, so they don't have the burden to do that. So this is something to really think
2: about investing in and don't cheap out on this. <laughs> it will pay its dividends. You may not see it, but I promise your family will.
1: I want to go back to the train, the train <laughs> collection. Is that the, the choo-choo trains or the band train? Because oh. Hey, soul sister, ain't that Mr. Mister on the radio, stereo. The way you move ain't fair, you know.
2: With all due respect, I think Markel's jingle was better. Doop, doop. <laughs> All right, guys.
0: Sarah, thank you so much for enlightening us today, all about family estate planning.
1: One more question. Where can people find more information about yourself? steinsbrilling.com. All
0: right, I think that's a wrap. Just as a reminder, new episodes of the Senior Soup Podcast are released every Monday at 9 a.m.
1: You can find us on the web at theseniorsoup.com. And guess what, guys? Now we're on Amazon Alexa. So if you say, Alexa play the senior suit podcast on amazon music the first voice you will hear is raquel's lovely singing voice
0: the senior suit
1: <laughs> she <laughs> likes it i'm telling you she's a grammy nominee thank y'all Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Senior Soup Podcast. Visit theseniorsoup.com to listen to all the latest episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email us at contact at theseniorsoup.com. The Senior Soup Podcast is on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeart, Stitcher, Pandora, TuneIn, and most other podcast directories. Alexa. Play the Senior Soup Podcast on Spotify. That's right. You can listen to the Senior Soup Podcast on any Amazon Alexa device. Raquel and I will catch you next time. Be well and take care of one another.